What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Austin with BlockBytes, and welcome to Beyond the Block, the show where we speak to some of the brightest minds in all of cryptocurrency. And today I'm going to be speaking with Dom Sheener. Now, he's a crypto pioneer and also co-founder of IOTA and Shimmer Network. So in 2017, he co-founded the IOTA Foundation and established Germany's first nonprofit foundation that enables permissionless ecosystems powered by distributed ledgers. He was rated among the top 10 managers in the entire global blockchain community. So in this interview, we discuss the early days of crypto, the founding of IOTA, some wins and, and also lessons learned in more than a decade in the crypto space. We also dive into the new Shimmer EVM network and why it's the perfect environment to grow a new DeFi and NFT ecosystem. Also, how it's gonna be used as a proving ground for future IOTA developments. Dom is honestly one of my favorites around the crypto space and somebody you're definitely gonna to wanna to be familiar with moving forward. Enjoy the interview. Let's get after it. So it is my great pleasure to be joined by Dom Sheener today, one of the co-founders of IOTA, uh, cryptocurrency pioneer. Somebody I, I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hey, Austin. Very nice to do this show together. Yes, absolutely. So, so you and I have talked a lot. Uh, yeah. but there are, there are parts of your story that are like super intriguing to me that I know that we've never had the opportunity to like really dive into. And so, all right. So you, you started in the industry in, uh, 2012, is that right? Yeah, exactly. So like cryptocurrency was, was completely like witchcraft, <laughs> you know, <laughs> snake oil at that point. Right. I remember somebody once pitching me that the moon is a spaceship and he was one of the lead uh, smart contracts developer <laughs> of one of the <laughs> cryptocurrencies. <laughs> so so it, it was really the wild west. <laughs> so like up until that point, so can you tell us, tell me a little bit about your life, like up until that point and what, what about, you know, the concept of crypto latched on to you to made you say, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to join this movement. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe something about my background. So I actually come from northern Italy, right? even though my, my name is kind of German. I come from like the German speaking part of Italy. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know about South Tyrol, South Tyrol. So the way that okay. you can think about it is it's beautiful mountains, beautiful nature, very small villages really distributed across a, a, a very um, big space. Right. And I would say it's it's progressive in some parts, but very, uh, yeah, like uh, not very modernized, right? Not very technology driven. It's 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 a it's a um, province in Italy that is really focused on tourism, right? And so um, I was always kind of kind of bored by by my life there, so to say. So and also by school, right? And so I was trying to find an escape through the internet. So I would I would really define myself as an internet child, so to say. You know, like I was kind of grow I grew up with it. I was I was shaped by it and by internet forums and 
what really always um, excited me about the internet was this opportunity to basically create things. Right? You could do anything on the internet. You could be anybody. Like nobody gives a fuck if you're a 14-year-old kid in Italy, right? Or yep, if yep. you're <laughs> some rich dude, right? You can be anybody. And that always drove me, you know, like what others can do, I can do as well. And I remember being on the online forums and reading about those people that made a lot of money <clears throat> with the internet. It was like, hey, I want independence as well, right? Like financial independence. And so before before I went before I was in crypto, I really was so like focused on setting up different online businesses, right? The advertising and also some stuff um, around development, right? And the way that I started actually my career was probably selling Call of Duty hacks. <laughs> So I made, I made some money with that and then I reinvested it into new new ventures and stuff like that. So I was always entrepreneurial. And the way that I got into Bitcoin actually was one of the main reasons um, was that I couldn't open a PayPal account, right? Because I wasn't old enough. Mm-hmm. And so Bitcoin opened itself up as this opportunity. Like it's it's borderless money. It doesn't care who you are or or where you're from, right? You can utilize it and you can transfer value. And right. And so I actually used Bitcoin in the early days just to transfer money to pay developers. And the more I read about the the like Bitcoin white paper about Bitcoin mining and stuff like that, I just really got embraced by this potential, right? But but like if there's one thing that really like sucked me into this ecosystem, it's permissionless innovation, right? You being able to create anything that you want. Uh, without being told by others that he couldn't do it, right? And and that that's that that stuck with me since then, right? Because I was able to build things with crypto that I couldn't build any, any other way. So I really saw this opportunity in the market. So we started out with mining all coins in early 2012, which was um, obviously quite uh, quite thrilling. We rolled the the first bull market, and we're excited about all the money we made, and then we lost all the money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but but that was part of it, right? So, um, yeah, like 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 I think that's sort of like the origin story of how I got into crypto. So I remember, man, two thousand eight. All right, so I had I had like a little bit of a history on the messaging boards as well, right? But I got into like, do you remember all the high yield investment programs that used to pop around? Yeah, like yeah, all the, yeah. they were just straight up Ponzi's, right? And but we used to play in them and have fun with like Liberty Reserve and all the the different currencies, right? Exactly. Bitcoin, man. And I remember, I remember like reading about Bitcoin at the time, but I didn't understand it. Like I had nothing within me that like latched onto it. I remember people setting up like, you know, they kind of called them server farms, but really they were just a bunch of compact computers in a room that were like running their CPUs and <laughs> Bitcoin yeah. hadn't even progressed to GPUs at that point. That haunts me. It haunts me to this day that I read about it back in 2009 and didn't act and, on it. And, and by the way, you mentioned Liberty Reserve, right? Like Liberty Reserve was also those services that I used back in those days. Right? It was quite mm-hmm. useful and it was very interesting how, how a Liberty Reserve dollar was more valuable than a PayPal dollar, for example, right? There was always this premium on it but obviously they got shut down <laughs> yeah in 2013 for for good reasons right the money laundering accusation not just accusations but really like supporting money laundering and stuff like that but i think that also showed you um the the true power of permissionless um currencies right being able to transfer value across the globe so not being limited by your banking sector, right? Telling you what to do. I think I think that was really like uh, one of those aha moments that made me realize that, that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are really here to stay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back in, in 2012, 2013, I mean, your mind, like, what did you mine back then? Like, what was, yeah. it, was prime coin around? Like, what, what were the original mining coins back then? Yeah, so the, 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 the first one that it was really in, that I got really into was actually ProtoShares. So okay. ProtoShares was, was the predecessor of BitShares, right? And that's how I got to know um, uh, Daniel Larimer and Charles Hoskinson because they were like obviously the founders of ProtoShares, but then they like split their ways in quite dramatic ways. <laughs> yep. um, but I got involved in, in the ProtoShares, was mining it. it was the first time I, 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 uh, I felt the... Uh, the power of, of cryptocurrencies, right? You could mine a new token and suddenly there is, it has value attached to it, right? It gets listed on, on some shady Chinese exchange. But you, in your mind, you think like, hey, like, fuck, like this, this, this kind of has money. This, this is kind of money, right? Magic right. internet money. <laughs> it has value attached to it. And then I was really trying to think like, what are the biggest opportunities? So I was very, very involved in the BitShares, ProtoShares community, trying to help with marketing. Right. I kind of felt empowered, right? This, this kind of felt like a movement, so to say, right? Where anybody could join, anybody could create new things. But um, I moved over to the NXT community at that point. And then I sort of realized like the biggest opportunity in this market is exchanges, right? Cryptocurrency exchanges, centralized exchanges, because that's the biggest bottleneck. How do you get the liquidity into the system and how do you get it, get, uh, get it out of it, right? And so I kind of told myself that this is really what I should do right now, right? And it was like 17 or 18 at the time when, when I started trying to build a cryptocurrency exchange, right? And, uh, <laughs> and back in those days, right, like whenever you spoke with a bank to open up a bank account for you and they knew that you're in a crypto business, they would just tell you, like, please never contact us again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it was those times when, when banks were really very hostile, towards crypto and they really saw it as money lot a new way to launder money and stuff like that and so it was kind of impossible for me to open up a bank account which is kind of like the core the core essence of a cryptocurrency exchange because otherwise you can't get money in and money out but it was sort of like my first uh, uh lesson so uh, like 2013 was really the year like it was the first big crypto crash right mm-hmm. and by the way uh 2012 like it's it's very interesting what how how the crypto market evolved and how it professionalized right and what really drove the markets like back in those days I don't know NXT had I don't know a twenty million dollar market cap and I remember we were uh, sponsoring a booth at the payments conference and because we had that booth the token obviously pumped fifty percent right yeah because of yep. a fucking because of a fucking booth <laughs> at a conference. <laughs> And that just made me realize, like, hey, like, if you if you have this real world adoption tied to cryptocurrencies, you can actually make it really big. Because, of course, it's the Wild West at the moment, and everybody's on Bitcoin talk, talking about their crazy ideas. But there's some real value to be gained here by going out in the open and talking and evan- evangelizing. Right? Uh, but that's uh, that's like a side story. But ultimately, with the crypto exchange, um, like, it obviously failed because it's a, a difficult business to set up. And uh, it was sort of like one of those life lessons for myself <laughs> as right. well. Yeah. Damn, man. All right. So 2012, 2013, we're progressing here. So when does the idea of IOTA come about? Like, did you just wake up one day and go, you know, fuck it, let's create a DAG? Or like, how did this, how did this all really come about? I'm interested in the story here. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, 2013, 2014, I was very involved in the Ethereum community as well, right? So I, I kind of knew the guys from from my time in Switzerland, right? Because I had my crypto exchange there, and uh, was also kind of living with them at at one point in their crazy house, <laughs> and um, I realized the potential of of uh, Ethereum very early on. Right, and I found it very exciting. And the founders of IOTA, we knew each other from the NXT days. Right, mm-hmm. so it was basically a, a bunch of dudes on a forum that met and uh, spoke about the opportunities in the market. So my my co-founders, they started first, right, in early 2015, and I then joined probably mid to end of like probably like mid 2015, right, and then we. We did a small crowd sale, raising half a million dollars, and and the, the the rest obviously went on from that. But the core essence of it was really like, hey, like there's this opportunity with the Internet of Things, where we want to like Internet of Things is going to be this ubiquitous computing platform. It's going to be everywhere, right? And it's going to connect uh, the physical with the digital world. And obviously, you need to have a trust layer there in order to trust those devices, right? So that you can trust the data that you get from them. And even more importantly, that you actually enable these machines to transact with each other. Because the big vision behind IOTA was really this machine economy, right? Where machines would transact with each other autonomously and through that also take friction away from us, right? Simplest example is being able to pay at the parking station autonomously with the vehicle or charging station or complex use cases or data marketplaces where a machine can buy data and improve its algorithms and stuff like that. And so that was really like sort of, so, so like the, a very strong and a very bold vision behind IOTA, mm-hmm. like when we started it. Um, I think that's one of the key, key differences that we had in this market because, you know, at those times, you either had the very esoteric idea or you had the very esoteric technology. And so we kind of combined both. Right. But we had this very bold vision of the future and we combined it with this new thesis, right, where it's no longer just about blockchains and miners and um, securing the ledger through this chain. Right. But it's really about going the next level um, to resolve those bottlenecks that blockchains have. Right. With, with fees, with scalability and obviously with the miner centralization. And so we went into the market with the claims that we could actually solve those problems through our DAG architecture. Right. And, and that was sort of like the origin, right? With those two bold claims, one on the adoption side and the other on the technology side. So on like the Internet of Things, uh, where, you know, machines are communicating with other machines, you mentioned like, like just, you know, as a rudimentary example, like I pull into a parking spot somewhere, my car sends a signal to pay for my parking spot without me having to do anything. Is that like kind of an example of what you were saying? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly one example, right? And if like... Just, like, just, just to go deeper into this example, there's some very important use cases where it makes a lot of sense to have one common standard for everybody to agree to, right? Because we, we don't envision a future where Volkswagen is going to have their own cryptocurrency, Tesla is going to have their own cryptocurrency, because what you create is these walled gardens, right? Now, just from a game theoretical standpoint, what happens then is that all of these companies need to invest so much to get their infrastructure adopted. Right, Volkswagen needs to get the Volkswagen token adopted so that people can actually use it for their charging stations and stuff like that, which is a huge, huge endeavor. Right, instead of creating these isolated markets, right, for themselves, 
it makes a ton of sense to have this shared infrastructure, right? And and blockchain and IOTA is shared infrastructure that anybody can benefit from, right? And uh, those payments use cases for charging, for parking, are just some examples, right? But it goes much, much further than that, really, with machine-to-machine payments. At least that was our, our our original vision, right? Since then, we've obviously progressed and, and moved forward. But at the core of it, I still very much believe in this vision of the machine economy because it makes a ton of sense, right? That you want to empower machines with a wallet so that they can transact and, and pay for services without... Um, using uh, a dedicated token from a single company, right? Because that's never going to get adopted. I'm not sure if you remember JP Morgan coin. <laughs> that was also kind of <laughs> yeah. like a like a, a enterprise blockchain failure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never going to be a, 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 a euro coin, right? Because the euro coin is going to be based on the existing banking infrastructure. right? And small devices are not going to rely on the existing banking infrastructure because that's not going to be able to work just purely from a technology standpoint. And then the only alternative is to have one common standard that everybody utilizes, right? And so that was sort of like the core thesis of it. So so you guys are building this out and just from from like thinking back, all right, so I'm thinking back to 2016 and yeah. thinking like this idea do you feel like this idea was kind of ahead of its time, like at totally. the at the point that you were creating it? I mean, did did people get the vision of what you were talking about? Yeah, like I think I think it was definitely ahead of its time because um, it was a very bold and very big vision of the future, right? To create a new economy altogether, right? And and f- just looking at all the interest that IOTA got in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, especially like that three year period. Every big company wanted to work with us or was very interested in speaking with us um, to figure out how, how they can build new innovation use cases. But I, the, I think the, the biggest criticism is that I give myself as well, right, is we've, we were never able to cross this chasm where it went from an innovation product, right, like mm-hmm. the machine economy, IoT payments, to a real like, product in the real world, right, that is being adopted more broadly. And so I think it was sort of early in that regard as well um, to, to, to push for it. But I still very much believe in the vision behind it, right? I, I think it takes more time to really get this stuff adopted. If you if you think about 20, of, about those times, right? The biggest use cases that the banks were going for is, is uh, uh, like banking infrastructure of like CBDCs between themselves was trade finance and they invested hundreds of millions of dollars into these real world adoption use cases. And None of them worked out in the real world, right? None of them actually succeeded because it's quite difficult to to change the existing system, right? Oftentimes, it's better. Like what our core thesis at IOTA was, we want to work for and with the industry, right? So that we could more rapidly innovate and better adapt our technology to the demands of the industry. But the problem is the industry didn't know what their demands were. Mm-hmm. They were sort of like at this proof of concept stage, like innovation use cases where they were like, hey, like, let's cool, do cool things and see how it works out in the real world. But the, the real requirements never really came in because it never really got to the stage where it could be adopted. For one, because the technology wasn't ready, but for another also because it's just so damn difficult to change an existing system. And so if SAP, IBM, Oracle, those huge companies that invested really hundreds of millions of dollars can't change the existing system, I think your, your core thesis for the future is also wrong. And so instead of 
changing the existing system, I think that our new thesis is just to create a new system altogether, right? And that's the success of DeFi and NFTs and GameFi, where we, we really created a new world, right? And so it's about capitalizing on that. Now, um, I, I remember that that Henry Ford quote that said, you know, if I'd have asked the people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses, right? And yeah, that's, yeah, kind of, exactly. that's kind of what I'm reminded <laughs> of with this is like, you're, you're building this, this leading bleeding edge technology uh, and and you guys have the vision. And so here's my question for you, Dom. So you guys have a ton, a ton of partnerships. And I know like in the yeah. early days, you're sitting down with all of these companies and I know they're sitting there going, yeah, this is great. This is great. This is great. But like, wh where did it go from there? Like where where were the, the proof of concepts that like really stood out to you as maybe this one has merit? Yeah, so I think the, the probably the most promising one at the time was JLR, like Jaguar Land Rover, who actually built a car wallet, right? It was running in their own like uh, test facilities, right? Their, their, um, um, I think it was their offices in, in Ireland, where they have a huge test track and stuff like that, where IOTA was integrated for car to vehicle payments, right? And that was a really exciting use case. But then obviously COVID hit and they kind of... Uh, the innovation budgets got cut, right? And so the projects itself didn't really move forward because the, the concept itself made a lot of sense, right? The car is a wallet. It can uh, pay for services, but it can also earn money, right? For example, by having this dual charger system where you can actually mm. offload your electricity into the grid and you earn money with it, right? And so it was kind of a very exciting use case uh, to work on. Um, but that one obviously is, is right now on hold because because of COVID, every car company is in a, in a difficult spot. Um, another one that we worked on was a car pass, right? Give, it, give the car an identity. And I think this one will definitely move forward as well. Mm -hmm. Now, and one of the most exciting use cases that actually really got adopted in the real world is um, Energy Knip. So it's a project that was built by the university, some university in, uh, in the Netherlands. And you can think about it like a regional voucher. Right, where we issue a, a token for a municipality, let's say like a local community. And this token is now being issued as incentives for you to have um, like positive behavior for the community, right? For example, saving energy during the current time, right? Which is hugely beneficial for the entire community, right? Because of the uh, energy crisis. Now, for saving energy, you're going to get this incentive, this voucher. And this voucher can only be used in local stores in the vicinity, right? And so what you basically have here is a win-win-win situation for everybody. The municipality wins because they um, have to, uh, they, they resolve one of their biggest issues, right? Which is like energy consumption. The individual, the household wins because now they actually are able to receive uh, money for, for their behavior and the local economy benefits because those vouchers can be redeemed locally. And so you also offer those, um, for example, shops and stores, an uh, opportunity to compete with e-commerce stores. And that use case actually has nearly 30,000 households right now oh, wow. that are using it. So it's one of the biggest real life um, crypto slash blockchain use cases. right? And we're actually working on expanding that right now. So I think that one is a very, very exciting use case. right? So I, 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 I would define 2017, 2018 really as this crazy period where, where everybody was shooting in, in a million different directions, right? Like, let's uh, transform the trillion dollar insurance industry. Let's, let's make a new coin for that. Or let's disrupt the publishing industry and let's make a new coin for that, right? Like that was sort of like the 2017 period. And so it took every, all of us 
uh, two years to come to realization what actually makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Right? And so I think DeFi is one of those areas that makes a ton of sense. And I think those regional voucher projects that we've created also makes a ton of sense. Digital identity makes a ton of sense, right? Uh, but you had to go through that period to really figure out what makes sense, what doesn't, and so on. I think we were one of the leaders at the time, really, in, in showing the potential of crypto, right? And I think that's something that we can be proud of. But ultimately, it's about winning in the market, right? And so I think for us, it was also important to realize, like, hey, this focus on enterprise adoption is not, is not working out, right? And so either we can double down on that or we change path, right? And sort of pivot into a new direction where... We focus on the core of our technology, which is the DAG, right? Which is one of the main innovations of IOTA and, and double down on the technology itself and then focus on empowering the ecosystem to build the use cases. And, and that's sort of what we did in, started in 2020 and that's sort of like the pivot that we've had. So before we get into Shimmer, cause that's where, you know, we start talking about that. I'm going to get all fired up with you. Tell, <laughs> let's, let's talk about why uh, DAG architecture really enables the sort of tech that you were talking about or the sort of use cases that you were describing? Um, so the main promise of DAGs is that it scales better than blockchains, right? Because with blockchains today, we still have those inherent scalability um, issues, right? Also transaction fees and stuff like that. If you think about Bitcoin, the Bitcoin technology hasn't changed in the last, I don't know, 10 years, right? Ethereum is at least trying and adapting with their um, uh, uh, layered approach. Right? But our, our thesis was we changed the, the foundational layer, right? The, the core ledger and find a different way to really parallelize the transactions. So it's no longer the sequential chain, but transactions can be confirmed at the same time simultaneously. Through that, you get much more throughput. But in addition to that, one of our core principles of IOTA was that we want to empower everybody to be a validator, right? We don't want to create a technology like, like Solana, not saying that it's wrong, right? But it's like a different thesis that they have. But their focus is really on on high powered nodes that are are operating the network. And of course, you can you can achieve massive throughput through that. But ultimately, you're not empowering the ecosystem or the community to participate, right? Because not everybody can become a validator. And with IOTA, because we had this strong focus on IoT, we want to make it possible for everybody to have their own node. Right, which is very important for decentralization and is very important for censorship resistance. Right? And so with our technology, because it allows you to parallelize the transactions, we're able to scale better than other ledgers. And we are also more decentralized in that regard. And decentralization is really the focus of IOTA 2.0, which we'll talk about with Shimmer then. But, but I think with the, with the launch of Aptos, we and, and Avalanche and so on, I think our thesis with the DAC as a base ledger is also proving right, which is very exciting, right? Because they are all using DACs as well, obviously in a different different way. Um, but but we are directionally right in that regard. And now we just need to execute on it. And so, Phantom is also, by the way, Phantom is also DAC, right? Yep, yep. They're DAG as well. So so yeah. you've got you've got parallel execution, uh, meaning Meaning there's really no like order to it. It's just as they hit. And, and yeah. what are the resources required to run a node like on IOTA? I know what they are on other networks. And, the, and you know, Avalanche, they're not that huge. Phantom, yeah. relatively large. Aptos, I don't yeah. know. But. Yeah, also very large, right? I think it's like eight gigs of RAM for our okay. node. And you have like 200 uh, 
200, 500 gigabyte of storage, right? Mm -hmm. SSD. And that's about it, right? You don't need to have a huge uh, 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 connection. You don't, you don't need to have a lot of processing power. So it's, it's really, it's really on the much, much, much on the, on, on the lower end than many of the other protocols. Hey guys, just wanted to take a break real quick to say thanks for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show so far, do us a favor, hit that like button, make sure that you're subscribed to the channel and turn your notifications on so that you never miss a block bites video. Enjoy the rest of the show. So the industry's changed like, all right, so we're up to, we're up to 2019 coming into 2020 COVID hits the, you know, what the fuck yeah. all of our fun proof of concepts are now like getting defunded and <laughs> and you know then we had like the the layer one explosion you know around 2021 where you had polygon and avax and phantom yeah. and you know all these and, and of course you know bsc which is called bnb chain now but all, all these various ones that pop up uh which were they were DeFi hubs right. and you know some of they each have like their own little shtick, you know, BNB chain being like the first one, but of course, you know, they're all basically run on servers in CZ's basement. Don't tell them I said that, but, <laughs> and then <laughs> that's not true. And then, you know, you've got AVAX with the, the more decentralization and you've got, you know, Phantom trying to do their, their thing over there. Like where, where does the pivot come in for you guys when we can start talking about shimmer? Because this is a big yeah. move. Yeah. And of course, maybe, maybe before we talk about that, let's, let's also talk about 2018, right? Because 2018 is the most painful period for for all of us, right? Like losing 99% of your wealth is uh, uh, never fun. And yeah. I was one of I'm I'm really one of those people who's very principled, right? I'm like I I want to be the last man standing uh, on this ship, and if Iota fails, I have to fail as well, right? I I I don't want to be well off if Iota fails. So I think 2018 was also this personal year, which is sort of the foundation for 2020, right? Because I think in 2018, I, I I always say in crypto, either you lose yourself mentally or you really become Zen. Mm -hmm. and, and so many people have lost themselves. They made too much money and they're like completely uh, escaped reality in that regard. Or you really stay grounded in reality and you try to focus on your core, right? And, and try to fix your problems, right? Because in 2017, we grew so much and we were like 100, 120 people. And so we really needed this time from 2018 to 2019 to mature ourselves as a technology and also as people and specifically really as a team, right? And, and I think that was really the, 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 the core premise for us to be able to take on uh, 2020 because, you know, like the, the way that this crypto space works is because you have this instant liquidity with many of these tokens Many of the founders are just like, hey, like I've already achieved my goal, right? I made my 10 million. What am I doing here, right? Why, yeah. why, why, why do I wake up in the morning and get uh, screamed at from by my community because the token doesn't pump, right? And and I think many of the other projects they're like, just like fuck it, like I'll just move on and do my own thing, or I'll use the foundation as an asset management tool and uh, invest into the market and just benefit from that. I think for us, what really drove us always is. We want to achieve our vision, right? Like because if we don't achieve our vision, we we fail, right? And that's really what drove us in in 2020 to to sit down and really think through about our position in the market. Because there's no doubt that every other layer one was um, being much more successful than IOTA was because they were focused on the right narratives, right? DeFi, NFTs, 
layer one chain. Uh, let's drop some tokens as airdrops, as incentives. You know the playbook, right? Everybody mm -hmm. could do the playbook because you just copied an EVM chain. Every every successful project other than Solana was an EVM chain, right? Right, right. <laughs> so the playbook itself is rather simple if you know how to play it. But our playbook was always we need to we want to achieve with our technology. We want to succeed with our technology, um, which is the DAG, right? And so in 2020, we 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 just told the team like, hey, we need to make this pivot, and we really need to focus on being a, a player in the crypto markets, because before that we kind of had the sort of a weird relationship with the crypto market, I would say, where it's like, yes, we we, we most of our treasury is in IOTA tokens, and yes, we are a cryptocurrency, but no, we don't focus on crypto adoption. Uh, we we focus on real world adoption, right? So it was this like very weird relationship where we just didn't really acknowledge crypto itself right and so i think many people in the crypto space also saw us as outsiders they didn't really see us as a crypto project in that regard so in 2020 we realized we need to change that because the crypto market is here to stay right i think i think until DeFi really happened many of us didn't really know if crypto had a future right we really believed in it and we we knew it would succeed one day eventually but we didn't know how it would would succeed and i think DeFi gave us that answer. And so for us, at that point, it was really about how can we reposition IOTA in the market and really how can we adapt our technology right, so that we can enable anybody to create their own token, right? Tokenization is the core part of it. And also very importantly, how can we do smart contracts? Because IOTA is a DAG, right? And as you said, it's unordered transactions. What you need for smart contracts is you need to have these this sequential transactions to really make sure that the smart contract is being executed correctly. So doing smart contracts on IOTA wasn't really possible. Right? And so that's why we had to come up with a solution for layer two smart contracts. And, and the rest was uh, two years of building, basically, <laughs> to where we are today. Unbelievable. All right. So <clears throat> what is it about um, the unordered transactions? Now, I know you explained this a little bit, but like when I think over to, you know, like the Phantom DAG, I mean, they talk about asynchronous processing, right? So they can, kind of, right? So how does that exactly work that precluded IOTA from, from a smart contract layer right out the gate? Basically, we had no way to actually have a virtual machine on the layer one, right? Where it would get executed on the layer one. Because our technology just wasn't built like that. It was really focused on transactional settlement, just really doing transactions in the most efficient way possible. There was no, no big um, logic for each transaction. So we first had to actually upgrade the protocol so that we would have a virtual machine, some logic on the layer one to be able to execute um, certain conditions. Right? And that's what we now have with this uh, with Shimmer, with this new upgrade where we actually have these conditional scripts on the layer one. And on the layer two, we have the virtual machine with unlimited uh, possibilities. One important point to highlight, right, is like many of these decisions are on purpose, where it is that we don't want to limit the layer one to a virtual machine, because if we have the Ethereum virtual machine on the layer one, right, just as an example, we figure out a way to do it, we would need to have a blockchain because you can't do it on a DAG. And as soon as you have the Ethereum virtual machine on a blockchain, you limit it again, right? 40 TPS, right? Mm -hmm. I think Phantom was able to achieve 50, 60 TPS before. It really had throughput limitations. So while they are a DAG, they're not fully utilizing the benefits of a DAG, right? And IOTA right. can do 1,000 plus TPS reliably 
today. And so it's really about how, how do we not limit the potential of DAGs while at the same time offering the possibilities of, of smart contracts, right? And that's why we came up with this architecture with the layer two smart contracts. Damn. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's let's dive into this a little bit. So um, yeah. so Sh Shimmer Network. The how did the idea come about? First of all, I mean, was it like when Compound and Ave and all and you know we had DeFi summer in 2020 and everyone was farming sushi and yam and you guys were like, oh shit, this has some legs or <laughs> or what was it exactly? Yeah. First of all, it came out of a problem, right? And. One of the biggest projects that we have in the IOTA Foundation, right? And the IOTA Foundation is primarily an R&D organization. We really focus on this next version of the protocol because the way that IOTA launched with our technology was obviously uh, not optimal, right? There was there were some very bad ideas implemented in the protocol. And so we worked on upgrading it. And the most important part is actually removing the coordinator, right? Which is this instance, which is, helps in the transaction validation so that we have the protocol that runs fully decentralized, where, where it's a leaderless consensus protocol, where everybody can participate in the in the validation and security of the network, right? And um, as part of that uh, journey, to building that protocol, we realized that hey, like if we if we really finish the protocol, we implemented it and it runs nicely on a testnet for a couple of months. How do we actually upgrade the mainnet? Because the mainnet has a couple billion dollar valuation, right? Or like 700 million right now. <laughs> but uh, um, how do we make sure that we can upgrade the mainnet? Because if there's a flaw on the mainnet, if there's a double spend, right? That's the death of the project, right? Um, at least that's what we assume. But right. as, as was proven in some other projects, it's probably not the death, but... <laughs> you have to make sure that the mainnet itself is as secure as possible. And so we could do a 12 month um, uh, testing phase again, right? So you extend it even further. So that means you become less competitive in the market, or you could do a huge bug bounty program. Let's say we put out $10 million bug bounty program. What is gonna happen then is that people will say like, the future of the protocol is only worth $10 million for you, right? So it's never gonna be enough. And uh, you can do security audits again, not uh, it's not going to work flawlessly and so with uh, with polkadot what polkadot did is that they introduced kusama as a sort of staging network to to test uh, the, the 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 protocol make sure it works and they also issued it as a token with its own token and from that we also got some validation for for our own ideas right that we should really just build a new layer one that is sovereign right that is, is is its own layer one network has its own token and ultimately will also have its own ecosystem but we're launching this with the core focus of being a staging network for iota so that we can help to to validate and more importantly really to expedite our technology roadmap and so that was really like the origin story of shimmer and, and since then the the project has done a few iterations right where it sort of grew and grew by the day because we realized like hey this is the first time that we're really introducing utility to our community because previously you couldn't really do much with your iota tokens but now now you have tokenization you have nfts you have DeFi and smart contracts right and so it opens up crazy possibilities and so for us shimmer also became strategically very important because we really see that with Shimmer, we can succeed in the current market, right? The current uh, market environment so that we can later on uh, really move forward with IOTA as well when it also upgrades or gets upgraded and, and go even further with that. Yeah. 
So, all right. So we've got Shimmer. Shimmer is, so I kind of, you know, when I think about it again, non-tech brain, but I'm going to try and explain this. So I, I kind of look at it like a cake, right? It's got these different layers to it and you've got, you know, your copy of the Tangle and then you've got your smart contract layer and then you're going to, you're going to pile that EVM layer on top of that. And, yep. and you guys have some really, really cool stuff built out like straight into the network with the different UTXO types and you know, the ability to set a time lock on tokens or the complete composability of every token that's minted on the network. Like, could you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course, of course. So, so where we started from, right, is with the DAG and the DAG allows this parallelized execution of transactions and what we upgraded or what we extended the core ledger with is this ability to create tokens, right? Anybody can now mint tokens on the layer one and transfer them around. And what's important about this concept is that it's actually native tokens, right? So they're as secure as the native Shimmer or the native IOTA token, which is very important, right? Because ultimately these tokens are supposed to be assets, but they have a value and you want to keep them in your wallet. You want to make sure that they're not kept in some smart contract where maybe through some regulation or some restrictions or an admin key, the tokens can be removed from your possession, right? Mm -hmm. Tokens on our layer one, they're ultimately in your possession. Nobody can take them away from you, right? Um, so we started out with that, right? We wanted to have tokenization on the layer one. In addition to that, we realized is we need to have some form of scriptability so that you can actually define how transactions get um, confirmed in a network. And what it allowed us to do is um, you can actually now really define that transactions only get confirmed after a certain time period, right? So you can really do very nice use cases with that. And you can also do sort of conditional transactions where they will only be confirmed if the other party actually ex accepts the transaction, right? And what you can do with that, for example, is you can define that when you transfer tokens out, they will never be lost, right? If the other party doesn't accept them within a day, the tokens will return to you, right? So, so those are some kind of interesting ideas that we introduced. Probably the most important one, which was to your point about the virtual machine is this introduction of the alias um, output, which actually allows us to have a state machine on the layer one, right? Which is very important so that we can have actually have layer two smart contracts anchor into the layer one. Right. And that is, in, in a very high-level summary, the gist of this uh, core upgrade, right? where we have the scriptability, where we have this tokenization. And then in addition to that, we have the ability to anchor layer two networks into the layer one so that we have unlimited possibilities with, uh, with the Ethereum virtual machine or, or with other smart contract solutions. So with the with the EVM type of bottleneck, and you know, you had mentioned like 30 TPS or you know, something yep. of that nature. But when you're talking about horizontal scaling in well, it's almost kind of vertical and horizontal, but uh, yep. you've got multiple layer twos that can plug into the into the the layer one, right? Correct. Uh, does that does that enable each of them to have that same TPS as well? So if you know if Doge chain or something plugs into the the main shimmer layer one, there they're going to get their TPS, and but IOTA can process all of those yeah. for the tangle can process yeah, all exactly. of those with no problem as long as it doesn't have the limitation of the EVM. 
Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I, I think you said it perfectly. Horizontal scaling, right? With that, you achieve horizontal scaling where you can now, as soon as you hit the scalability limit in one uh, layer two network or, or app chain, right? It, like you can really think about these layer twos as sovereign blockchains. It's a, it's a blockchain on top of the DAG. Right? Mm -hmm. And now, now you unlock new th throughput as soon as you launch a new, a new blockchain on top, of, on top of Shimmer, right? And with that, Shimmer is multi-chain. Right. We, 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 we enable anybody to create their own dedicated blockchain um, network on top of on top of Shimmer. And the core the core difference of what we have built compared to other networks is actually we leverage the layer one network as this composability layer. Right. Because now what we actually enable the layer two networks to do is they can safely bridge assets between themselves. Right. Autonomously, atomically. And they can also bridge data, transfer data between the between smart contracts from different blockchain networks, and they can really like work together harmoniously, right, between each other. And so I think that was really one of the, for example, that was the core thesis of Polkadot back in the day, and uh, with their XCMP protocol and their parachains, and we built a much more fluid architecture, where we use this concept of tokenization on the layer one. So that layer twos can safely mint tokens on the layer one and then transfer them to another layer two network. So you don't need a bridge. So all right, just to I want to talk about that for a second because that's really, yep. really important. And I know that you I know that you explained this already, but so I just want to clarify kind of what's bouncing around in my head. And you tell me if we're on the right track here. So <clears throat> like let's take let's take USDC, for example, over on Ethereum. We all know what happened with the OFAC sanctions, right? And that's because yeah. everything with the exception of Ether is an yeah. ERC twenty, or you know, could be seven twenty one or eleven fifty five if we're talking about NFTs. But, but they're essentially a smart contract uh, that's running right. on top of on top of Ethereum. And so, in that respect, there's going to be conditions within the smart contract. So there's going to be somebody with an admin key to that smart contract that might say, "Okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna turn you off because we didn't like exactly. what you were doing." Yeah. So when it comes to Shimmer, uh, can can we really picture it like every token? that's that's created on the network has the composability of like ethereum or ether on ethereum like it's that sort of token exactly. standard that there's no smart contracts running it they actually live on the network yeah exactly exactly so you can like in in, in this case right what you can have is actually you can have a smart contract on the layer two mint the tokens on the layer one so that you are in full control so the smart contract is just really there to have some more complex transaction logic on to define the distribution, but you're going to be in possession, right? And we, we always use the example of banks and cash, right? Today, if you go to a bank, they're the custodian of your money, right? Hopefully, you can trust them that they're not going to uh, run away with your money or they're not going to give you a, a, a cut, <laughs> as, right. as happened in some countries, right? Um, but ultimately, they're in possession of your money, right? And that's one of the, that was one of the core theses of crypto, right? You are your own bank. But um, what is the case with many DeFi applications is obviously we have smart contracts. And these smart contracts are now the, the ledger where, where the tokens are being stored. And if the smart contract, like in a case of USDC, um, has ultimate possession over those assets, which they obviously need, right? I'm, I'm again not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that they need it because of regulations and stuff like that. You're not going to be in control of your assets. And with us, as, as in a case of cash, you're literally in control of your money. Nobody can take it away from you unless they do it forcibly, right? 
So there's no smart contract and there's no nothing in the network that can take it away. So, and I think, by the way, like, the like this is very exciting then for real world assets when we're really talking about tokenizing real world assets and bringing them onto the network so that you can really give people control over, over, over those assets. Like think about real estate, right? And, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's kind of where I was going a little bit with this. So, you know, DeFi being, I mean, arguably one of the greatest innovations that we've seen thus far, yeah. uh, it, but especially in the way that it opens up the world, it democratizes uh, money or the access to funding, maybe in a way that, that what didn't exist prior. And so, so you've built a shimmer network. If we can liken it to Kusama, that's cool. So like it's a staging network for IOTA, but it's a lot more than that. It's going to be its own ecosystem with its own dApps and, yeah. and people building and innovating on top of it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your, your vision for this, like where, you know, where is your vision? That's, that's where I want to know. Like where are you hoping to see Shimmer go? Because I know that you've watched a lot of networks launch. And so, whereas, you know, in some places there is first mover advantage and in other places there's second mover advantage because you have right. hindsight and you're able to see the, you know, the wins and the losses of other networks as they went along. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so this is actually a very interesting question, right? And I was really thinking about it a lot also like reading blitz scaling again and uh, stuff like that. And if you think about it, blitz scaling really doesn't apply to crypto. It maybe applies to some specific dApps, but it doesn't apply to layer one networks because I think the way that we should define layer one networks is more like they're more akin to countries. Right? Mm -hmm. And how do you get adoption to a country? Right? You need to have industries, which is layer two networks. And those industries need to have very profitable and sustainable companies, right? which is dApps. Right? So with that analogy, it makes a lot more sense that we are really trying to establish like a sovereign nation with Shimmer that maybe competing with IOTA in some regards, but those two nations are really there to work harmoniously together to really build up a bigger bigger ecosystem altogether. So where where we want to go with Shimmer in the short term and then also in the long term, I think, I think in the short term, I think there's a really great opportunity right now to um, fill a gap in the market right? because I think everybody's kind of sick of of the established DeFi plays on some of the other networks because uh, most of the opportunities, most of the yield have run out, right? And so they're looking for new ways to actually earn yield, right? And so I think Shimmer really fills that gap because it is a new token. It has like a $100 million market cap at the moment, which compared to the $8 billion of AVAX mm -hmm. or other networks is really nothing, right? So it shows you the potential that is there. And we have a very exciting... Um, ecosystem, thanks to the IOTA community, right? I think I think the biggest asset that we really have is our community, right? Because we we really try to build and create all of this together with them, and um, they have been building so many amazing applications. So I think I think in the short term, there's a great opportunity for Shimmer to to fill this gap in the market as a new as a new layer one in this bear market, right? Um, ultimately, what Shimmer will be is all of the main technology. Um, upgrades from our roadmap will first go onto the Shimmer network, right? So Shimmer will always always be the one that first will see these major innovations happening, right? So I think it's also a way for our ecosystem to explore and to experiment on new ideas, new primitives, new ways to do DeFi. And for example, like what we've seen with, the, with our native tokens, there's already so many exciting applications, like for example, with Suniverse, where you can mint your, your tokens, transfer them around and stuff like that that are starting to be built. And, and that's really one of the core theses of Shimmer, right? To be, to be the network where you can be first. And um, ultimately, 
once we succeed with this upgrade, then we achieve IOTA 2.0 and this full decentralization. I think Shimmer and IOTA will really be, be two networks with maybe different technology setups, right? Where one may be inflationary and the other one is not going to be inflationary, but are going to be competing in that regard as well. And I think, I think that's ultimately a good thing right? because um, while, 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 while they have a shared purpose, I think those two networks can also really thrive even more if if there's this competitive nature in it. But uh, but at the moment, I think that the purpose of Shimmer is very clear on validating and expediting the technology roadmap of, of IOTA and building up a large ecosystem. And having fun doing it, man. I, I'll tell you, as somebody exactly. who who has ridden, you know, from 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 the beginning of let's say a bridge opening to put assets onto a network riding the whole wave. I can tell you it's fun. It's a hell yeah. of a journey. And one of the greatest decisions I made, at least at the time was getting really, really, really good at a single network. Know the right. builders, know the projects, know everywhere to go within it. And when it blows up, it's like, Holy shit. Now, yeah, exactly, now exactly. is our time, you know? Yeah, so we're, so we're basically preparing for the bull market, right? Like the bull market is inevitable. That's one of the main things that's different today from 2018, right? 2018, right. everybody had this existential angst, right? Where it was like, are we going to have tomorrow? <laughs> are we going to see uh, tomorrow? <laughs> and this time it's different. It's about, hey, like, how can we, how can, what, what should we build in this bear market to, to go through it? And obviously, we're, we're really focused on building up Shimmer with the ecosystem and having fun uh, doing it, as you said. Well, so you guys have something that a lot of other networks didn't have, uh, and that is a freaking massive community that is out of control, active, and like <laughs> ready to jump into anything you guys put out. I've interacted with them on a few occasions, and both Clay and myself were like, holy shit, these guys are super active, man. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, how, how did you build a community that stood by you and is just like so entrenched in the iota you know ecosystem and then waiting for shimmer to launch like like what is what is the deal there yeah it's, it's it's quite interesting i think i think we do things very differently than other projects right like i'm i'm always on discord for example our team most of our team members are always on discord engaging with the community answering questions and i think they for, for us we don't see this as uh I think many other projects see their community also sort of like as an exit liquidity in many regards, right? They don't they, they see it as a as a way as a as their job to build up a community and then just to uh, go with their with their purposes, which may be to dump the tokens and whatnot, right? I think for us it was always, hey, like we want to actually create something together with these people because we respect them, right? We don't we don't see them as as lesser than us, right? I, I always joke that I'm just one of the I'm just an unpaid community member working at the foundation. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't get paid if that's your question. <laughs> um so I, I I really think it's about having fun together with them and, and we 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 went through a lot together, you know. I think every community, every crypto community is going through the ups and downs and for us what we just like kept us together was the strong vision of the future right we were like hey like fuck if crypto is all about dumping a bunch of tokens on some some other token and calling it and um, revenues and calling it yield that may not be the future that we believe in right 
it may be a way to get towards the future, right? But nobody else has really defined a clear vision of the future yet, right? DeFi, it was, it was all about making a lot of money, right? And I think many people, me including, we, we just didn't really believe that this was what, like crypto wasn't made for this. Like when we started out in crypto, it wasn't about, hey, how can we be as rich as possible? It was always about how can we actually make sure that this technology gets adopted in the real world and solves real problems, right? I think DeFi was a great experiment, but it hasn't really solved real problems yet, right, at scale. So I think our community really shares this vision with us where it is about, hey, how can we really make sure that we achieve a real a real value for society with, with what we build? And obviously we went through a lot of pain. We went through a lot of gain, some more pain, and that just kept us together and they washed out those people that don't believe in it, but and that are just there uh, to make money. So yeah, like, no, like we just love being part of the community and, and love having fun with them. And uh, we, we want to really support them as much as possible uh, moving forward because IOTA and Shimmer are supposed to be community projects and we want to go, we want to go against other projects that are primarily VC dominated and, and, and just succeed through that. I, I love hearing you say that, man. You know, looking back on like other communities that I've been a part of and, you know, done well at, admittedly, yeah. if I had, if I had not had, so there, there's, there's two ways to look at it, right? You can look at it from the, I'm just here to make a couple bucks thing, or I'm here to like really be a part of what's being built. And I yeah. can tell you that, you know, if you're a part of what's being built, the money will probably come. But if you're not like really getting into the community, uh, and like watching the ideas come to fruition and yeah. sit back and we'll go, you know, a year later, holy shit, that worked. Like, I can't believe that worked, you know, like that's, that's not, at least in my mind of the memories that I have, that's like 95% of it totally, is totally. like the stories I have with the people, the builders that built and actually got adoption. And it was like, wow, this is, this is an experience I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. You know, yeah, it, was a, exactly. it was just so much bigger than just like token price go up. You know? Yeah, 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 and and I think this this cultural aspect of communities is very important because you 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 cannot build a culture based on making as much money as possible because people are just going to drop you for the next thing for the next shiny thing when it comes around right they don't care about you or what you're trying to achieve um, they just want to make money right? and I think I think that's where a, a lot of the projects in crypto went wrong where we were sort of blinded by hey like I can. I can make a lot of money over the next few months and then retire and then never look at crypto again, right? Sure, you achieved your personal goal, but ultimately this is about bigger than any one individual or any group of individuals, right? Like we are really part of a revolution and either you're contributing towards that revolution or you're, 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 you're just a tourist, right? On this journey. And I think many people in our, our community really just want to be part of creating something great, right? And be part of... Uh, as you said, the story that I can tell later on that they were, that they were there when it happened. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. It's yeah. a big deal, man. So, so, all right, we got the community ready to plug right in. When, oh, I'm sorry to even ask this. I know this is a terrible thing to ask to anyone. <laughs> when can we expect, you know, beta network? Uh, when can we really expect this to start taking shape with shimmer? Yeah. Yeah. No, like, the exciting part about Shimmer is we already launched the layer one 
right. close to a month ago, right? And at the moment, we really focus on upgrading the network with the execution layer, right? Having the Ethereum virtual machine on there so that we can actually experiment with it. Um, I would say we're a couple of weeks away. So we are finalizing the testing and also I think I think an, an important part to mention here is like even though Shimmer is a staging network, we're not going to be reckless with it, right? We're not going to just say like, "Hey, here's the code, like just do whatever you want with it." <laughs> <laughs> like we we actually have to do a proper QA, right, and uh, make sure that it is secure because ultimately there's going to be assets on that network, and it is our responsibility as the as one of the building teams behind this to make sure that it is as secure as possible, right? And so we're going to have a testing phase, a public testing phase, where everybody will be able to participate, where everybody will get incentives to participate as well, right, in the form of airdrops and and some nice games. And and then ultimately, we we want to launch it um, as soon as possible. So I think we're a couple of weeks away from the beta, public beta. And then and then we'll probably do like one or two months of, of public testing with incentives and with all the DeFi apps, right? So you can also build trust which decks you want to use or which lending platform, which stablecoin and stuff like that. The painful process that I learned about uh, being, being in the market is, um, first of all, no ETAs is very helpful. So you can save face later on. Yeah. <laughs> like like I, I, I lost so much face just saying, oh, like we're going to launch it by Q2. <laughs> then it takes until Q4, right? And right. like, damn. And ultimately, things always take longer than you expect. Uh, that's the that's hard part about crypto, right? You want things to happen as quickly as possible, but we cannot we cannot make reckless decisions with what we build because then if something goes wrong, people lose their money, and I think yeah, um, we 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 would really be be blamed for it, right? So you need to do it right, but ultimately, it will always pay off more than you expected, right? So it's all about being patient. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So you, you mentioned final thing. I, I just have to give a shout out to the Sooniverse guys. I had a call with them the other day. Yeah. It, was, it was a 20 minute call. And I think I laughed through like 15 minutes of those 20 <laughs> minutes. Like those guys had me had me rolling. But I could just what I came away from that was to say, wow, it was like five guys on the call and the cohesion that they had as a team the yeah. vision that they had of what they wanted to build and the map to execute upon that. And a lot of it, they have already executed upon, yeah. uh, was, was really like, I looked, I went away from that going, Oh man, this is like, there's some real shit going on here. Totally. Totally. And you know, like Suniverse is a great example because they were one of the first dApps to really realize this building opportunity. And, and it's also like a moment of joy for us, right? Because now you've, you see people building on top of your network finally. Before that, we always worked with big companies and it was very frustrating in terms of the development cycles. But I think I think from, from this experience working with big companies and stuff like that, we also realized like our purpose within the ecosystem, like we're there to build the layer one, the core technology, but even more important than that, we're there to empower the ecosystem. We are not here to build the solutions. We are there to empower others to build the solutions. And and building the, the technology is not is not uh, sufficient, right? We need to do a lot more than that and provide support. So the Touchpoint team is doing a really great job there. And I'm very excited just to see um, where the community will take it. Right? And limitless opportunities are offered with smart contracts. And um, with the right support, I really think we can build something really great here. So it will be fun.
Well, I think you guys are, man. Dom, thank you so much yeah. for taking the time to be with us here today, man. This has been, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, but just hearing about your history, talking about the early days of crypto, man, that was absolutely rad. I appreciate having you on, buddy. Yeah, no, thank you, Austin. It was really great. Oh, 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 oh,